Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From Postcard from the Past and Wardour Studios, this is podcast from the past, the postcard podcast. This is the podcast where we engage with colourful little cardboard oblongs for longer and with closer attention than is strictly necessary as we attempt to understand the memories, meanings and stories held by picture postcards. I'm Tom Jackson and I'm delighted to say my guests are both today big in the postcard collecting world. Uh, Two marks, Mark Routh and Mark Wingham. Uh, Mark and Mark, hello and welcome to Podcasts from the Past. Hello, Tom. Thank you for having us. Yes, it's uh, uh, a different place to be, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Don't be too effusive, Mark. <laughs> now, uh, Mark Routh spent his working life in the police force, I think that's right. I did, full 30 years. But for the past decade... More? Ooh. He's been writing about postcards. How Nin- many years? 1992, I started. Tw- nearly 30 years, give or take. Nearly 30 years writing about postcards. And um, Mark contributes a regular column to the UK's leading, uh, or only real, postcard collecting magazine, Picture Postcard Monthly. The world's only one now. The, oh, my goodness. And I think Mark must be one of the longest-running columnists anywhere on any publication, I would have thought. Well, the reason Mark Wingham is chipping in here is is that Mark is the editor and proprietor and publisher of that magazine. So um, so we have a pair of colleagues here in a way. Um, We'll come to Mark Wingham in a moment. Um, Now, Mark, Ralph, your particular interest is moderns. What, What does that mean? I think I'm connected with moderns because I write about moderns. I collect across the full board, as will become quite clear from the cards I've brought along. But I like modern cards because I think you can relate to what's happening now and you, I tend to collect themes as stuff happens. Oh, so when the cards are really reflecting yeah, current the, affairs? Um, London Olympics, for instance, I collected those when they were around. Uh, back in the 80s, the miners' strike, I collected those whilst they were there, the Falklands War. Recent things uh, as well. Poll tax was another one from the 80s. But as things happen, postcards come out. And I like to collect through those. And, of course, as time goes by, they become older. historical records. Older, of course they do. They older. <laughs> uh, but it is surprising sometimes when you've bought cards at the time, when you lean, go back to look at them, when you realise some of them are, like, 30 years old, mm. which is how could... Another sideline, how can you call a card from 30, 40 years ago modern? Well, what is the definition of a modern in the postcard world then? Because it is a category, isn't it? It's not, it's not just a nickname we've given it. 
It's something that's going to die very, very soon because you can't really keep it. What it used to be was if it was pre-Second World War, it was old. Right. If it was sort of like 1950 to now, they consider it as being modern. So the war was the watershed, really, wasn't it? In many ways. I think, um, I mean, a lot of, sort of dealers who deal in the old postcards tend to deal with anything before 1950, they would see as vintage older cards. But I think it's doing a great disservice to the 1960s and 70s in particular, because in the 1970s, there was a company called Pamlin Prints who reproduced a lot of old postcard images. And those cards, many of them were published in 1972, and people frown on them, uh, some old dealers now. You can usually buy them for anything from 50p to £2.50, depending on the image. But if you'd had the original image, you're talking about £20, £30. So so they were reproducing... Cards from the golden age, is that yes. right, before the First World War? Yes, kind of they era? did. But, but now, and the Pamlins were very canny, they produced all their series by numbers and letters, and they're people who religiously <laughs> collect them. And they also had six different backings on the back of the postcards, and I do know some collectors who collect all the different backings, so not just the number, of which there were thousands. Oh. But those cards So it now, multiplies up and up and up if you're a completist. It does. But, I mean, those cards, as Mark was saying, they're now 50 years old, so how yes, can anyone yes. call those moderns? Because they're not. And you've got the price differences. You can pick up a card from the golden age in 50p boxes quite quite easily. Um, uh, fr- in France, they they produce hundreds of thousands of street scene postcards. Mm-hmm. But you try and find some of your uh, older street scenes from the 60s, someone knows it costs you a fiver now. Right. Yeah. And you, it's called a modern card, but it's £5. When you can buy a golden age card for 50p... I, it confuses me. I just, <laughs> I think in the end, we are going to have to accept that we are postcard collectors. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> I think what happened was that obviously at the end of the First World War, um, up until then, the Golden Age period. I mean, you couldn't walk down the street in the country where there wasn't someone collecting postcards. It was the text messaging of the day. The Royal Mail used to get delivered six times a day. You could send a, uh, a postcard to a loved one on Christmas Day morning, knowing it would get home Christmas Day evening. Um, but when the lads came back from the First World War, it was seen as a bit of a frivolous hobby. The cost of postage doubled from a halfpenny to a penny. Lots of people who were involved in the industry, which was massive at that time, from photographers to the publishing houses, were killed in the war. There right. weren't enough staff to man it and one thing that first world war did was greatly speed up the increase of telephones in the homes as a form of messaging so i think all those factors contributed to all nearly killing postcards off but so that through the 20s and the 30s and the 40s there were far less postcards produced than there were in the period up to the first world war it was the first world war that caused the biggest issues for uh, for postcards although lots were issued for morale problem you also had was a lot of the cards prior to the First World War were uh, printed in Germany. A lot of the British yes. companies had their cards printed in Germany. And that Obviously, became a bit of a logical that, problem. Yes. That became a big problem, but it never resurfaced afterwards. Once the war had finished, all the other factors came into place. It just never really quite built up again. So I think, you know, communication technology, whatever it is, whether it's the telephone, postcards, text, these things, they rise and they fall. And often it takes a sort of cataclysmic event to accelerate that change. So the First World War was such a sort of um, spasm for the whole of Europe that it's not surprising that there was a uh, ripples felt across these different sort of communication technologies. Now, that was a very interesting kind of diversion into the, the old and the new in postcards. Mark, you come to the studio today with an SS1. 
South End postmark. I can just yes. about read that. <laughs> I've lived in the Septon for a couple of years. I've lived pretty much all my life in the South End area. And um, we, 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 we're going to see some cars later on with, that, with a theme from South End, which is, which is great. Uh, I've got an important question for you, Mark. Do you, you have a lot of cards. You have a great many cards. <laughs> Do you still send postcards? Yes. I have a couple of friends in, uh, in America and we exchange cards. Okay. Would I send postcards? Sending them through the post with yes. stamps? So you're not, yeah. they're not preciously in an envelope? or No. No, no. we uh, like to see the different stamps. One of the people I send them to likes the stamps as much as the cards, so I try and find the special stamps that are around at the time that are being issued by Royal Mail, and I use those to post the cards to Very him. Very good. Very good. Well, I'm glad you, you're not just keeping them in boxes and uh, albums. Now, Mark Wingham, as we said, is um, perhaps the most powerful man in the postcard world in the UK. Um, I'm not sure about that. Through <laughs> having taken over and keeping alive Picture Postcard Monthly, um, he is flying the flag for postcards and, and connecting um, dealers with collectors for the events and also um, giving experts a chance to talk about uh, their particular discoveries and areas of expertise within postcards. And now Mark comes to us today with a... PO6, Hambledon postmark? Yes, That's, I do. Is that where you live or have lived? Or? No, it's where I played cricket for ah. over 25 years. Um, it's the, it was considered the home of cricket. Um, it was a game where the, the grounds and the club associated with many of the modern rules associated with the game. And in the mid-18th century, Hambledon was the most powerful um, club side in the country and regularly really? used to take on, on all England and beat them. Very um, good. And I live in Portsmouth, which is about... 12 miles away from Hambledon. But, um, so you have an affection for the place. Oh, yeah. I've, I've always felt it was like a spiritual home. Very good. Very good. Now, Mark, when did you last send a postcard? Well, I'm not as good as Mark. I don't <laughs> send too many, but I did send one this morning um, on my way to the train to come here. You're joking. I, you win. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a, a, a collector of cards in um, Yorkshire who collects cards by the French publisher Levy & Sons. These are the LL cards? LL cards, yes. And they're much sought after. Um, they were a Parisian firm, but they produced a lot of cards, mainly around the southern counties of England, which are collected by numbers and series. And they're highly sought after printed postcards. And um, the, the, the collector I have in the north of England is relatively new to collecting them um, and is hunting them down religiously. Unfortunately, he, um, he broke his hand recently, oh. so uh, he hasn't been able to deal with the packaging I've been sending him. But I did send him a little LL card um, through the post this morning. Very um, good. So you were sending it as a... As a postcard. Within an, oh, as a postcard? Yes. I said put, put a stamp on it and a brief message. It was an unused one through the post. But I thought it... Oh. I normally package these things up very safely. That's a bit so of they're fun. protected. Yes. So the card had not been sent for 100 years. Yep. And suddenly it gains its, its, its validation, its reason yes. for existing. I would imagine the postman would look twice at it before he popped it through the letterbox. He might pocket it. <laughs> <laughs> not a high-value card, but I thought it'd be nice to the person. Yes. Now, that would genuinely be a surprise. That's very good. Um, now, before we discover the cards and their good cards um, that the two Marks have brought along today uh, to the studio, I'll give you a quick one of mine. I feel slightly hesitant about doing this in the, in the, in the, in the presence <laughs> of these uh, the card dealers and experts, but let's let's see if we can get away with it. Now, this is a, a postcard from the past card, like I do on Twitter, at past postcard. Um, an old card, uh, a modern card, if you like, but a, a post-war card, from which I've selected just a part of the message. So this is a card. It's a, it's a John Hind card. 
um, sort of distinctive from its colouring, actually. Well, that's what they were famous for because yeah. they used to uh, brighten up the real colours of the of the cards. A lot of the colours on them were false, but yes. uh, they, were, they were designed to attract the eye, which is and what postcards have always it? been. It works. You know, but... so this is a multi-view of St Ives, and um, let's see if I can get a date on it. 1965, sent in Penzance to uh, Newport in Wales, and... Um, the message caught my eye. Someone called Anne was writing to someone called Margaret. And they say, um, the scenery is beautiful, but some of it is spoiled by the weirdos and beatniks who loaf about in the town. I expect you find that in Margate. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, that was... Uh, Anne wasn't impressed with the people of, of Newport. Um, another quick one. This is a different one. This is from a company called Hale Caledonia. Um, 1975, and it was sent to Norfolk um, from someone who just uses their initials, so I, kinda, I don't know their name. Um, and I just thought it was an odd phrase to use. Um, it's a nice image, actually, of Tobermory on the Isle of Mull. Um, yeah. Very placid-looking. You can almost yeah. hear, the, hear like, the water in the harbour. Ideally, postcard scene. Yeah, exactly. Typical, isn't it? Yeah. Typical. Um, well, they were impressed because they said, the air here is much stronger <laughs> I, think, I think I know what they mean, but I'm not entirely sure. I don't know how air gets strong, but anyway. One to mull over. Fresher, I think, possibly. One to mull over, very good. Yeah, fresher or sweeter. No, it's strong air. Maybe that's what we need. Um, just to let you know uh, at home, images of all the cards, uh, my cards, my guest cards, uh, they're going to be on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, so you can, you can see them, you can analyse them, you can scrutinise them and see that we weren't making it up. Uh, now, Mark and Mark, you've been kind enough to come to the studio today with postcards of your own. Mark, Ralph, let's start with you. You've got a couple of cards here, I think, that, that refer to your hometown. So what have, what, have, what have you got for us? If you mention Southend or see to most people as a tourist or whatever, it's, it's the pier. It's known of for course. our pier. And, of course, in the world, it's the longest leisure pier there is. It's a mile long, isn't it? Is it's it... just slightly over a mile long. I, I beg your mile, pardon. I beg your a, pardon. Mile, <laughs> a mile and a bit. That is hard to imagine until you see it, isn't it? A mile-long pier. It, it, is. it is. And I've walked it many times. Uh, there's a little group of us that... On... I almost said there and back, but you have to walk it there and back. You can't, <laughs> you can't just go one way. You can. You can take the train back. Ah. Walk one way, take the train there. Because there's a pier train that runs up and down as Very well. Good. So what I, what I normally do is walk one way, <laughs> take the train the other. Yeah. There's a little group of us that meet every uh, New Year's Day in the morning uh, as a way of recovering from the New Year's Eve festivities. We walk along the pier. What a good idea. You get uh, some of that strong air. Well, I can certainly get something. <laughs> yeah, so it's not the best morning to pick, but what we do. What I've brought along is... In specifically an old one from uh, November the 23rd, 1908. Okay, uh, right in the golden age we're talking about. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, it's a, a photographic one from uh, my hometown. Um, and it shows, <laughs> or it doesn't show, a large missing part of the pier. Oh, my God, so there's been a terrible accident? Yes, or? there was uh, a, a boat called the Marlborough that um, missed the fact that the pier was there and just sailed right through it and it looks like it, it looks like it yeah it went literally through it didn't just literally bump into through it. it no no it literally tore away <laughs> a massive section of the pier 
disasters were a big thing for postcards in the golden age. Yes. Uh, anything like that. Was well, um, no television news? So. No, and the newspapers at the time weren't really having photographs. So, I mean, no. photographers to capture the moment used to go out and have them on sale the a next morning. It's a bit coolish that you'd go and buy it, though, isn't it? It's, no, I must people, have that. Loved, yes. people loved things that were different. And Talking in those point. days, you didn't find out about disasters in any other way, the radio. You could hear about a local radio would uh, would give details, but if you wanted a picture of it, and if you were visiting somewhere where something had happened, by now, postcards are, are heavily collected across the country, and therefore, unusual ones are what people were after, to oh, try and send, so just, just to what, another one the other for your people. album. Yeah. Yeah. And some, uh, some dealers have a disaster section, sectioned off for that yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it continued through uh, disaster cars in the 1980s. It says something about people human find. nature, I don't know what it says. <laughs> yeah, there's um, any volcanoes, hurricanes, all sorts of stuff. Postcards, even now, are still issued for yeah. a lot of it. I mean, 9-11, when, uh, the terrorist attack. No, there, there were a lot of cars, Lots of postcards yes. issued uh, uh, after that event. So this is just the, well, the starter ones for it, really. But because uh, it's my hometown, because it's what my peer, that's how I see it, and, and, pe- and peer cards, of course, are highly collectible in themselves. In their own there, right, there yes. Yes. Yeah. I've seen it on fire a couple of times as well. So, <laughs> were there postcards of them? There were, yes. Uh, there was a company called, uh, or a lovely lady called Lynn Tate, who sadly died fairly recently. Um, she produced a peer fire set of cards for uh, for one of the peer fires, but it caught fire in the seventies, caught fire in the eighties. Um, it's had a history of lots of little bits of uh, of damage and bits and pieces, but this is one of my favourite ones. That's a massive tear. It's a huge rep yes, in the yes. pier. Well, you can you can sort of feel the dynamic of it, and also because there's a bit missing, you realise that it's it's quite scary being across the water. It doesn't because it's not solid anymore. No, what they did was that they built a temporary walkway oh, between it, and it was literally just enough for one person to walk across, like a little rope so bridge the almost. Plank. For the so, public, or just yeah, for the public, for the public, and health what? and safety didn't exist. <laughs> in oh those no, days. oh no, and you can uh, you can find postcards showing that little walkway oh, as really? well. So again, it's the it's the visualization of the past because yep, I think yep. postcards. It's for, a cracking moment you've caught there as well, isn't yeah. it? It's really good. Yeah, I think postcards capture that period of late Victorian Edwardian history better than any other type of uh, media. Well, yes, you've only got to look at the First World War coverage on the television and the major resource that gets used, apart from the the footage, is the postcards. Absolutely. Loved ones sending their their images back. And I suppose it's a sign of how popular postcards were and how many postcard producers there were at that time. South End's the seaside, so of course you're going to have some local photographers, local producers. But pretty well every every disaster that happened, there'd be someone finding their way to them, wouldn't there? There would be. But then again, in this period, you had some sort of uh, little photography studio in almost every town because what people were also doing was having their own photographs taken and produced as postcards, yes. and that was how people sent pictures of themselves. I mean, we didn't have Instagram or Facebook in those days. They sent photographs, family photographs, to each other, and it was these. That's how these little photographic studios initially built up. They moved into postcards later as postcards became popular, but their main bulk of business was still yes. the uh, the family photograph, the portrait photograph, the new child, the baby. Uh, first day of school, all this sort of stuff. You, you see it on Facebook. 
Yeah. When school starts up, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of photographs. All my friends' kids are all, all appearing in their school uniform. But that was all done through... Yes, with a potted plant behind them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. My, my favourite publisher that I collect were a company called Berkshire Brothers who were based oh, yeah. in South Sea in Portsmouth and there was two brothers who ran it. And um, they were portrait photographers, so they were doing just what Mark says. Um, they, the core of their business was people going into the studio, different backdrops, they could pretend to be sitting in boats in the countryside doing all this kind of stuff. But for one year only, and I don't know why it was one year only and it was such a shame that it was, in 1905 they decided to do topographical postcards. Okay, so landscapes and locations. Yes, and mainly the streets around them. And oh. I've got about 170 of their cards and I wish I knew how many there were. Mainly side streets and things, but high quality stuff. And one of the things mm. they used to do was stunt. They they were well known for getting kids to be in their pictures yes. and the, the guy delivering the milk and that kind of stuff. So they, they staged that to make the frame nice. Yes, and the, but they clearly didn't make that side of it work because they only did it for 1905. And I've never found a Berkshire Brothers card that has a postmark of a topographical scene apart from 1905 and 06. Oh. And I think they went back to the portrait afterwards because they didn't find it profitable. Regular flow of people in the portraits, I suppose. Or that, that, that they did their number of photographs and that's what they had. And They felt they'd covered they just, it. They, they felt they'd done it because why branch out further if if you're local like that? Yes. Would there be a need to go? It's a local further? business, so you'd only do it yeah. within a half mile radius or something. I mean, quite often there'd be more than one studio and they'd be fighting each other. <laughs> I mean, there was a studio in South End and uh, they bought a load of uh, cowboy costumes and the people were going in and having themselves uh, photographed in like big furry trousers and cowboy hats and bits. Really? The public? Yes, yeah, you'd go on a lot. Was this 20s or earlier? That was in the 20s, yeah. yeah. That was in the 20s. So that's when the sort of fancy dress boom took off, isn't it? Yes, and also the um, something different was needed to try and get people to produce oh, them because the telephone had come in so you could phone people with updates and bits. So, so they're just literally looking around so for novelties to keep it moving. Yeah, and they'd also, they'd have different props, different costumes, different things. And even now, if you go into some of the theme parks, they do the cowboy scene, don't they? They do it on Brighton Pier. Yeah, 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 as yeah, I say, you yeah. do that. Well, th that is a travel-on from the early days yes. of the stu local studios doing that type of photograph. I suppose it's also a characteristic of postcards, actually, postcards, because postcards are a slightly maverick um, form. You know, they're not quite one thing and they're not quite something else, and they're not very rest. They're not particularly respectable. So postcard manufacturers have always sort of been quite opportunistic. Uh, you know, so a boat ploughs into the pier, we might as well put a postcard out. There's well, no one saying, I don't think you should, that's not very proper. Just do it. It's, that's the style, I think. But, I mean, that card Mark has of South End Pier would obviously have been the talk of South End that day and for weeks after, yes. but that card almost certainly would have been in a shop window later that day or the next morning. Would it be as quick w as that? Within 24 hours, that yep. would have been on sale. Because they were processing everything themselves, they were printing it all themselves. And, I mean, bearing in mind, you know, before the days, we're talking about before the days of supermarkets, that kind of thing, where most streets had a corner shop and that corner shop sold everything and it had a display of postcards yes. up in the window where you could go and buy something like Mark's card the next morning. And someone would have been down on the beachfront with a stack of these for the people that were coming to look at it. People would come down, they'd look Cold out. in November. Oh, well, <laughs> oh, you mean literally as you go and gorp at it? You go down take and gorp at it, you look at it, and yes. there'd be someone there to sell you a photograph yes. of your souvenir of what you saw. For a penny? 
Well, probably even cheaper than that. Some, well, some. Yes, yeah. really. And then you could write home about it to Uncle Jack and send him a card and look <laughs> yeah. what I saw yesterday. Yes. yes. You'll love this, Uncle Jack. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you for sharing your personal disasters with us, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Mark Wingham, what, you've got a couple of cards, I think, there for us. Yes. Sort of to- topographically based. Oh, no, no. These are, uh, yeah, the first two we had. Right. Yeah, so I've got um, two very different cards perhaps to talk about. Um, This might sound a little... Well, it is vain. There's no other way of putting it. But my surname is Wingham, which happens to be the name of a a village near Canterbury in Kent. Fact. Um, Fact, (laughs) yes. Uh, Where my surname comes from, I have no idea. Um, I've had a friend who's done my family history back to the 17th century. Um, But where the family originates from, I don't know. So uh, I'm a bit... It's an English-sounding name, isn't it? English-sounding name, yep. Um, It was... It's it's wing with with an I, but I've seen it spelt with a Y, so... Oh, okay. Um, But that's if you're going back so far that there's non-standard spellings, I suppose. Yes, yes, definitely the case. But some time ago, I was um, watching a... Portsmouth play at Gillingham in Kent and I thought I'll stop off at the village of Wingham on my way back because I've always wanted to go there and uh, as bold as brass I went into a pub called the Red Lion um, which uh, uh, was quite busy at the time and I proudly claimed that my name was Wingham expecting that the landlord would immediately say okay what would you like to drink and treat me like the lord of the manor yard of ale (laughs) (laughs) and uh, pub conversations went on of course no one batted an eyelid and why should they and the landlord looked me between the eyes and said here's a box of matches which said red line Wingham (laughs) so my first card that was my souvenir my first card is a a, a card which I think is probably 1930s um, this is is separate purchase separate purchase yeah inspired by the same idea Yes, and it's of the Red Lion Wingham. And I've got about um, 40 cards of the village of Wingham in my collection because I've been buying them for vanity's sake. This is the problem with having collections, isn't it? Because sub-collections start up. Yes. I'm sure you wouldn't say that that was a big collection for you. No, it's not. But it's It's, just a thing. There's nothing worse than going to a fair and I'm a a buyer and a seller at fairs so I've been having stores I suppose I've been a dealer about 12 years but before I was a dealer I was a collector there's nothing worse than going to a fair and coming away empty handed and (laughs) and I collect Portsmouth cards my hometown and I have between six and seven thousand of those Um, but there are some fairs where it's easier to buy them than others and get new ones and of course when I don't find cards I like I do look for secondary collections of which the village of Wingham and Kent is one. Very good. So well, it's very it's, it's, it's easier for a Wingham than it is for a Jackson, I think. So, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> very easy for a Ralph. Are there any Ralphs? <laughs> there is a village of Ralph in Yorkshire and it is my ancestral home. Ah, oh, lovely. My, uh, ancestral... You own it, do you? <laughs> Irish. My family used to own, well, pretty much Yorkshire. Really? We uh, we came, a good company, yeah. We, yeah. Came, we came over with William the Conqueror, really? and we were one of William, William the Conqueror's knights. And, That's uh, a really old name, then. Because of the success of, obviously, William's uh, travel through, uh, my family ancestor got given a large chunk of the north. And uh, <laughs> he, he settled in, in, in this village, and it's still called Ralph, and my family history is recorded in the church really? oh, in that lovely. town. So. And how many cards of Ralph have you got? Absolutely none. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your, that's, your job, that's your job this afternoon. <laughs> Would you like some? <laughs> well, I'll say if there are any, I will... Uh, I will I, I've, I've been there, I've visited it. I've never 
to be honest, I've never thought to look for cars, isn't that weird? And it was yeah. only listening to your conversation and I suddenly thought to myself, <laughs> my wife would be delighted, a new fee. Exactly, yeah, a new hobby. Not, you want yeah. to advertise and picture postcard monthly, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just write it, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, uh, thank you. For, and there's there another one there for you, Mark. Yes, it? another one. It's 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 quite a basic design, actually. It's uh, the, I'm a, a season ticket holder at Fratton Park, and I'm I'm 61 now, and I've I've been going there since my father first took me when I was eight. Um, and for my whole lifetime, the Pompey mascot has been a sailor who walks around the pitch at the start of the game and makes a bit of a clown of himself. And of course, all the way supporters give him big stick hello sailor and all that kind of stuff but he gets a cheer from the home fans and and this is quite a simple card and it's it's captioned the day and it's got the pompey sailor holding holding the fa cup with a picture of the portsmouth flag behind it uh, portsmouth won the fa cup in 1939 it was the third time they've been in the final they've only won it twice the other time was 2008 um when i went to wembley i was too young for the 1939 one um but that was one of the best days in my life as a sports yeah. fan. So I, I do have a... I'm lucky enough to have a high number of Ports and Football Club cards, and this is one of the least interesting ones of it, but it has a, a special place in my heart. It's, it, it, it takes some decoding, doesn't it? If I saw that, I don't think I'd have worked out so quickly what it means. But obviously... No. You, you know the flag, you know the symbols. Yes. And, and you know that they won in 39. Well, the flag is quite interesting story in its own right because it's a star and crescent, which um, was sort of taken by King Richard I uh, during the Crusades. Um, and I, I went on my honeymoon to the Seychelles and Mauritius and um, I had a Portsmouth Football Club shirt on with this star and crescent. And I should classy. Never... Yeah, yes, classy. I should never forget we were we were looking around some of the uh, the, the, the the sugar cane sort of, sort of, which is around there. And I had some guy came up to me. We just stopped. We got out of our mini moat. We were doing a drive around the island, and this guy, a worker from the plantation, came up and he was had this machete, which he was something <laughs> blade side down against his hand, and I thought, oh. God, he's in trouble now. He is in trouble now, but he he had noticed from some distance the star and crescent and made immediate comment on it, oh. um, and it, it it is a talking point. Um, but Richard I granted his first charter to Portsmouth. Uh, let's see, it must be well, it's over eight hundred years ago because the city council had a eight hundredth anniversary event. I think it was nineteen ninety two, um, and the city council adopted the star and crescent on its flag and its its coat of arms, and the football club did the same thing. And, and football postcards are, are pretty collectible, aren't they? Because they're there's a natural base of people who'd be interested because the fans or the long-time fans. Yes, they are. Fanatics. <laughs> I mean, when you think, but I mean, I, um, this postcard I have, the, the Portsmouth one with the flag, was taken by a photographer called Stephen Cribb, who, um, he was like the paparazzi of his day in Portsmouth. He had his finger in so many pies. Really? Um, he used to he used to specialise in Royal Navy ships, Portsmouth being the home of, of the course. Royal Navy. Um, he used to spend a lot of time in the city, um, in the Guildhall Square, where a whole manner of events used to go on. Anything happened, he was there. But for something like 30-plus years, he was a director of Portsmouth Football Club and he was his chairman as well. So he was right on the scene to take postcards, um, images. And when you think what it took in those days, when you can think back of the the heavy, bulky equipment and 
how difficult it was to to lug around. He took some amazing action shots. Oh, really? Uh, where you can still see the ball and it's in focus. So quite a lot of photographers of the day used to go around doing crowd shots because they used to, by the end of the... They used to take these crowd shots before the game started. By the end of the game, sections of fans could come away and they could see if they could oh, see the, their picture. the magnifying glasses if you're in there? Yes. Well, they used to literally go around different sections of the ground and oh, there's that's... a bright photographer called Wiles who was particularly well-known for doing that. It's good business. Excellent business, yeah. Um, but this chap crib i mean amazing photographer and I, I i have two whole albums in my collection of his work from navy ships to topographical and a number of uh, football club ones and uh, i i just uh, think he was he was an amazing photographer um and, and and as you say football club cards are highly sought after and sometimes by people who aren't necessarily interested in postcards because yeah, crosses over i suppose crosses over because there are early historical records of players and matches taking part which you, you couldn't get anywhere else yes very good oh well thank you for sharing your um your your not ancestral home and um, <laughs> and and the, the love of your life the football club that's very good um another quick one from me this is a um a card of um I don't, is it I, I think I'm an old folks home or a convalescent home called Wirral Point uh, it's a sort of uh, bungalow looking place with um a group of uh, elderly people outside um, looking rather uh, you know, they're, they're not doing a great deal they just oh OAP centre you think it's an OAP centre um, anyway it's it's a it's an it's an old nineteen I think nineteen sixty seven actually it looks older actually it looks uh, looks more like fifty seven but I think it's sixty seven um, anyway the the the, the, um, the message just made me. Um, made me think because it doesn't sound quite as great as perhaps it wants to sound. The visitors are all very pleasant. I entertained them all with the violin solos. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
You're listening to Podcasts from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. And my guests today are two postcard collectors, dealers, writers, experts, Mark Wingham and Mark Routh. Uh, Mark, uh, Routh, you have something of a history lesson for us now because I think you've got the oldest postcard in the world. No, that can't be right. No, I've got two cards here. I've got one which is an example of what was the very first postcard that was ever produced uh, from Austria in uh, 1869. So literally, this is this is when they started? This is when they started. Um, the idea had been shunted around for a few years between Germany uh, and Austria, and uh, um, an Austrian by the name of uh, Hermann, Emmanuel Hermann, uh, took some of the ideas that had been bounded about in Germany, took them to the, uh, the Austrian government, and they agreed to what was the first postcard come out. Um, it's not a picture postcard. Of course, postal... we're, we're a few years before the picture postcard. Uh, this is postal stationery cards. Right. So what it was was a blank side for your message. Yes. And then on the other side, there was a pre-printed postage stamp. Of course. And the lines for the address to which you were sending the thing. But it has the characteristics of a postcard that it's small, it it's actually, convenient, it's cheap. actually says on it, correspondence cart. So it's yeah, the first it's a one. card that got posted. Yeah, so it is the first postcard so, in the world. And this, of course, is the 150th anniversary of that postcard. Of that one, yes, yes. exactly. Yep. But, um, but the, so this, I'm, I'm kind of astonished because I, I haven't seen one of these. I've read, seen these in books. I, have seen, I haven't seen Is that a very, very rare card? No. Something like six million of these were, were issued within, within days. Massive numbers, massive, massive numbers. Um, and it then just took, because it, it was so popular. It's so popular. It, it, it took off. It was a huge success. Exactly a year to the day, on the 1st of October, 1870, Britain was the second, joint second country to issue a, the postcard. So just a year later, just we a year later, jumped on the train. Uh, and there's something a little bit different. I have here one of the British ones posted on the 1st of October, 1870, on the first day of release. So that really is in the first batch so of British this postcards. Is, this here is the the UK's first ever What time was postcard. it sent? This card, oh, it doesn't, you see, because the cancellations were different. This one uh. just says B. It's from London, EC. It's a big letter one. It's October 1st and the 70s in the bottom. And it's a small single ring cancel Very on the good. obvious Queen Victoria halfpenny printed stamp. And is that a valuable card? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's still a, because they weren't, just because there aren't that many from the first day, I suppose, that must be the difference. This is, it, yes. I mean, if you want one of these uh, almost any other time, you could pick them up between 50p and £10, depending on how good the cancel is and bits and pieces. Then, but if you want a first day one like this, you are talking uh, uh, the middle range of three figures, or okay. 400. I'm not surprised. It's a piece of history. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's lovely. It's the most expensive single card I've ever bought. Right. But um, I'm interested in not just the pictures, I'm interested in the history yeah. of the whole postcard situation, the artwork, the stamps, the postmarks, the cancellations, the messages and the pictures. So I love these early postal stationery cards. I'm within, a, I'm within a year of this, half the world were issuing them. And what was the message? Hoping you're well. 
How typical for a <laughs> so, postcard yes. message. But they, they'd learn how simple. to write a postcard message sort of uh, instinctively. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the, the message that still gets sent. Yeah, it's straight up. Hoping you are well. And that is all... All it says on the back there. Hoping you are all well. So. But despite the lack of a picture on it, I mean, it's still a highly attractive it's visually lovely, item it? it's in its own right. I mean, the colourings on it are, are beautiful. I love these. Um, I collect these from um, all over the world, different ones. I mean, some could be expensive, but the vast majority of these are relatively cheap. Mm. You can build up a collection for, for very little, but they are lovely. And... The countries, especially South America and around there, they started to elaborately um, right. decorate the address side. You couldn't put it on the other side because it had to be plain to cover, uh, to be accepted by the postal laws of the time. But they started putting background, faded images, trains, mountains, views, and that was what led to what we now know as the picture postcard. Of course, of course. And eventually, because you could put almost anything on this, what you ended up with was little photographs and a smaller area for the address. Right. Um, so uh, it all and, it all changed. And our country's big contribution to the picture postcard was where it decided that it would put the picture over one complete side Undivided back. Yeah, 1902. And that's really what made postcards take off as a hobby because they suddenly, rather than becoming a form of communication, became a collectible item with yes, the image yes. on the front. And they've never stopped having that twin function, really, have they? The fact that you can you can have it as a pretty picture and you can use it as a thing to send. Those two uh, characteristics are both equally important, I think. Now, uh, Mark Wingham, you've got a card here that... Um, has a, they all have a story attached. That's why we're here. But you, it has a particular story, I think. What, what, what have you got here? Yes, we're, we're back to Hambledon, um, where I played my cricket. Um, because I sort of principally buy and sell in the Portsmouth area, most of my buyers of cards are of local cards. And Hambledon is a very collectible village for people to buy postcards of. Um, and this postcard I have here is of West Street, which is one of the two main roads running through the village. And I bought it from a fair in Chepter Mallet in deepest, darkest Somerset, uh, where the world's biggest postcard fair is held over two days every year. I bought it about four years ago from a dealer from Birmingham. And I bought so it's it, travelled around a bit. It's travelled around a bit. I bought it only on the strength of the image on the front of West Street. It's a nice street scene. It's not animated in any way. Um, but it was a, um, a view that I hadn't seen before, and I felt sure that one of my Hambledon buyers would like this card. And if I'm honest, I mean, I, I bought it at a price where I thought I could probably make a few quid on it. Good for you. It was only when I got it home and flipped it over um, that the card had sort of renewed meaning, significance and interest for me. Um, so much so that I will never part with it now. <laughs> I saw that it had been addressed to someone called Miss Wingham, who lived uh -huh. at 39 Canal Walk in Fratton. Fratton is a district of Portsmouth and Canal Walk has uh, escaped the Blitz and there's still one of those roads around that area which has survived to this day. It has a Hambledon um, postmark on it from 1908 and there's a message um, to Dear Liz... Um, from um, someone called Thelza, fairly unusual name. Now, when I got it home and looked at the back, I thought, well, there weren't that many Winghams around <laughs> in Portsmouth at the time. I mean, I remember when I left home and went in the phone directory, I was only the second Wingham there apart from my mum and dad. Right. Um, 
But we did a little bit of research on this, um, and it really goes back to the the story about sort of um, sort of Wingham in Kent, because um, I did know that my family was very big in the Selsey area of West Sussex, uh, where um, one of my um, going on my father's side of the family, where they had a bakery business and they also had a blacksmiths in okay. Selsey. And long story short, is we did a bit of tracing on this. A card and Miss uh, sort of Liz Wingham, and it it turned out that she was the daughter of a baker called Wingham from Hambledon, and it was the same Baker Wingham's from Selsey who actually set up a new branch. Oh. And this was my um, dad's grandfather, so my great grandfather, who was his the baker. It was my great grandfather's brother, um, and it turned out that this. Um, sort of <laughs> Liz Wingham is related to me, and I, wow. I'd, I'd always is it felt just on a card you bought, yeah, from, almost by chance. Yes, from Somerset, from a dealer from Birmingham, which had been sent to Portsmouth in 1908, and now has found its way back I feel to like Portsmouth a well, hundred years well, later. When, you, when you're collecting, or when I'm collecting, when you're you're often you're chasing down cards. It feels like this one's chased you down. Yes. Well, I mean, so many people are coming into postcards through family history. And here I stumbled across a bit of family history entirely by accident. A complete fluke, really. I just happened to be at that store at that time and picked up this card. Um, But it's delightful for me because it sounds bit silly and almost crass but I'd always felt I'd had this spiritual relationship with Hambledon when I used to I used to play cricket sometimes three times a week and whenever I drove through the village it always felt like there was something calling me there and I'd always wished I'd had a connection with the village which I'd never had but this postcard established a connection Amazing. that I didn't know about. Amazing. And Baker Wingham wasn't, I don't think, in Hambledon for that long, but he was there long enough for me to be able to claim a family connection with the village after all. It's, it's very interesting because there is this sense, I mean, one of the places that, that I've bumped into you two before is at postcard fairs and there's... There's a sort of strange feeling at postcard fairs. There's amazing cards everywhere that have been sent from someone, sent to someone. They often have an image of somewhere. But they're cut off from their original senders, recipients. It's like they've been scattered to the winds and the meaning has to some extent disappeared. And they will never really find their meaning again. They they just become artefacts. But this is an unusual moment because you're your card did find its way back to somewhere where it had a real family meaning. Yes. No, it, it, I mean, it, of all the cards in my collection, I mean, this is a, a, a prize one, and it was it was such a bonus, and an unexpected bonus as well. Um, but, I mean, you know, sometimes we're lucky enough to buy collections where you can buy entire family albums and you can see a whole family's life in that album. And it's with very heavy heart that, as dealers, you break them up because you, yes. are, sort of, you are losing a story. But, I mean sales are sales at the end of the day but sometimes people are able to pass on collections in their entirety which is a great thing to do they're a bit like and flocking birds sometimes yes. collectibles <laughs> because they sit together as a, as, as a collection and then as you say dealers will break them up and they kind of fly away to their own but then a collector will in a, to a slightly different pattern gather them back in won't yes they? So they will they kind of ebb and flow these things and it's not a healthy way of doing things really because i mean you know we're, we are but sort of temporary guardians of these little pieces of postal history yeah, it's how history is, is is passed on um during the time before telephone became extremely popular um how we passed on the information around ourselves was through letters and postcards 
And when postcards came on, that was the quickest form to pass on messages. Um, a lot of our social history is tied up in the messages that are printed on the back of somebody's well, cards. And they've been used as major propaganda tools you know, since the day, really. Yep. I mean, Russian Revolution times, oh, Spanish yes. Civil War... Um, you could go on. It hasn't stopped. I mean, the uh, propaganda cards for the Falklands. Um, I've got uh, some anti Just a few short years ago, Mark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even shorter period, I've got some uh, anti-American cards that were produced by the Serbians during the uh, uh, issue with the UN were over oh, there. Really? And many Americans were, uh, uh, were bombing Serbia. Serbia issued some really quite graphic anti-American mm. Uh, propaganda cards very hard to get hold of, but they did do them. Um, so it, it, it's never changed. I mean, even now, there are you, um, a lot of the propaganda systems are run by uh, postcard publicity. You, I saw it during the 80s, propaganda and political cards were, were mass-produced, anti-poll tax, yeah. all that oh, sort of yes. stuff. Oh, well, well, yes, the Leeds cards, aren't they? Yes, Leeds postcards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very good, very but interesting. I mean, Adolf Hitler made good use of the medium in the late 1930s in Germany. His I think, visits I'm, were... I'm sure lessons are being learnt from that even, yeah. even today. <laughs> um, thank you both so much. I'm, I'm thrilled you managed to um, share your cards uh, with the listeners and with me today. Um, a, a quick reminder for listeners... Um, Images of all the cards we've discussed today um, are going to be on the blog, uh, postcardfromthepast.co.uk. Um, now, this podcast is being launched. I mean, I know podcasts live live forever on the internet, but I think the first airing of this podcast, dear listener, as you listen today, is Christmas Day. So um, <laughs> with that slightly tenuous and slightly um, unhelpful connection, I have asked that uh, Mark and Mark bring with them some Christmas postcards to look at. So um, in a bit of a free-for-all, what have we got on the Christmas postcards? You go first. Oh, and by the way, listener, happy Christmas. Yes, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Christmas. Um, So I've brought... um, So I'm lucky enough through the magazine to get sent a number of very nice contributions from readers on a whole manner of things. Um, But we have a a reader in Wales, and I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning his name, called David Rye, who does homemade postcards, amongst many other things. And and David and his wife, Pat, um, sends a number of other people these homemade Christmas cards. And I know Mark sitting next to me is a recipient (laughs) as well. And so I've got this delightful card, which I I, I think, to use your words from earlier on, um, Tom is a modern-day silk. So he's he's used the fabric as the the main image on the picture. It's got a floral thing, and he's got the message Happy Christmas in both English and Welsh. And and on the back, it's a nice little first-day cover postmark uh, with our address and a simple message saying happy Christmas and thank you for PPM. Um, and David is a, a delightful chap and, and I, th- I, I just think this was a lovely thing to do and he does a whole manner of things like right. that well, to try and ha- keep people in the happy ha- together. Well, because postcards are normally mass-produced, a homemade one is different, isn't it? It, it is, special? absolutely different. Yes. Brilliant. He's gone to a lot of trouble. Happy Christmas, David. Happy Christmas, He's David. He's been sending out those for quite a few years now, hasn't he? He does some with stamp... Uh, 
pictures made out of cut cut up stamps. Oh, made which is into an old pictures. Idea, yes. yeah, very clever. And he actually yes. sent one to the Queen um, recently and had a letter back from Her Majesty or from the palace. Um, he he so re- never do that again to our stamps. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. <laughs> he put, as Mark says, he put some stamps together. He cut them up. He made an image and he sent it Brilliant. to the Queen. And, Brilliant. Uh, that sounds lovely. Yeah, they are lovely cards. I say I am one of the, the fortunate uh, uh, recipients of those as well. Uh, I've bought two. I'm, I'm hoping if I say it's nice, I'll get one, but I don't know. I don't <laughs> no, know. Well, we'll see what we can do. You never know. You, you never, never know. know. What do you got, Mark? I bought two. I bought an old one, which is your more standard Happy Christmas one with Santa in his red costume and uh, uh, sort of uh, illustration and bits and pieces. Yeah. Nice. A little bit of winter. Very nice. Used? Uh, yes, it is, but uh, written on but not stamped. So went in an envelope, you think? Uh, yes, yes. I, I, there was a thing where people were, some people were quite wary of postman other people reading the messages so it's not unusual to find uh, pretty postcards with a message on the back but without a stamp because they were sent under an yep. envelope which and is almost certainly what that one was and sometimes people wrote to each other in code so the postman couldn't look at it they had yeah. their own form of code or I've got my shorthand. own code which is just bad handwriting <laughs> well yeah, I mean, this one obviously has got a message all, all the way down the back, which is not unusual for the ones that were enveloped, but it's an old one. It's a standard style sort of Father Christmas one. But I thought something was a little bit more unusual. It's from the uh, British Postal Museum and Archive. Oh, um, yes. Not, not far and, from here. And it's a Christmas poster. Give books as stamps as Christmas presents. And there's a little Father Christmas. Oh, my God, I'd be spring. disappointed if I got a book of stamps for Christmas presents. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, take that back, Father Christmas. One of my collecting themes is, uh, is modern postal history cards, uh, posters, post boxes, and other little bits of pieces. And I love the Postal Museum. Uh, who, who designed the poster that it's taken from? This one here. Do uh, P. Vinton. Well, very nice, isn't it? Very distinctive. Although, obviously, the postcard is a modern one, it hasn't been out for very long. This uh, is a 1948 poster. Okay. As far as I know, that's the only time this has been produced on a postcard. Right. Because these posters weren't necessarily produced on postcards at the time. So, would, book, was, would books of stamps have been new then? Um, they wouldn't have been new, but certainly... Um, they were giving them a push. They were giving a bit of a push around that sort. So it certainly weren't new, because uh, postcard stamp books go back a lot further than, than, than 48. Very stylised. Uh, like stylist, stylist and stylish picture. But I love the uh, the Postal Museum in London. So um, I'll do everything I can to try and help their little... Uh, it's a lovely little museum if, you, if you're in London and you're interested in that sort of thing. It is a smashing little museum. It is and excellent. as we said earlier on, you know, let's not forget that in the golden age, you could send a loved one a card on Christmas Day, Christmas, and yeah, it would Christmas arrive the day. same day. Amazing! It's handy if you're a bit forgetful. <laughs> I would find that service quite useful now. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they're quite collectible now because they quite often have a, an X postage uh, oh, cancellation. Christmas, yes. Christmas uh, large Christmas X in Christmas. the middle, and some people collect just those Christmas Day cancellations. Ooh, something else for me to look out for. Very good. Lots of history. Now, before we let Mark and Mark back to their collections, um, I've got one more postcard for you both. Um, keeping in uh, the spirit of Christmas. I'm sure you're familiar with these. <laughs> one of the record long play. The you A5 rem- size ones, yes. Phonoscope. I've got a bit of a collection of these and... Um, have you seen this one, Mark? I'm sure you must see these before. Oh, I've seen the variety. They uh, issued one with the um, music of the Royal Wedding, Princess Di and Charles. Yes. And uh, that's as a postcard as well, showing 
uh, Diana in a wedding costume. With I think Prince it's Charles. like a documentary about the day as well. Yes, yes, there's a lot of stuff on that. So on like that a, particular like a little mini radio yeah, program. Yeah. I've got a Mickey Mouse one as well, uh, and a, an Eiffel Tower one. It's <laughs> different bits of music played there. Again, I, they're, they're novelty. Well, and exactly. Anything new to try and push sales? Postcards have done just about everything you could possibly do. Attachments yep. to them. Can, can you describe, use your um, literary skills, Mark? What, what, are, what are we seeing here? What's the picture of? Well, we're seeing a picture of a Christmas dinner. Um, very nice bit of turkey uh, with some fruit, some grapes, some, some candles, giving it a Christmas theme as well, and the Christmas puddings taking centre place. It doesn't look particularly it's, appetising, though. That's the only thing. <laughs> it, I think it's it the tablecloth. Too busy. And on the back, um, it's... Got 33.3 RPM, the old long play things, um, and it's a 1958 year of my birth. Fun Escape card, registered trademark. Um, so this would very much fall in the novelty section, as Mark says, which is a very collectible area in its own right. People collect a whole range of novelty cards of different materials and different things. Well, young, and I, young Tom has been preparing his turntable, so if we ask him nicely, he might be able to make it play for us. Ah. That's a lovely voice. It's amazing. Not I bad for a piece of carbon. Yeah, I, no, it is. I love that traditional little scratchy yes. bit that yeah. is. Is it a crackle music. or is it the chestnuts in the fire? <laughs> <laughs> or is it the crackle with the meat? Yeah, yeah, crackling. Yeah. Well, I feel this. It's is... lovely. You could raise the toast to that. Nice, yeah, nice I, glass of red I, wine. And I'm feeling quite Christmas. You're making yeah. me feel like a mince pie now. <laughs> you need to play that on Christmas Day. I'm going to. In the I'm background. It is Christmas Day, Mark. <laughs> Depending on when you're listening to this. Later today. Well, as the Christmas dinner circulates round on the, on the turntable forever, sprouts flying out, that's it for this time on Podcast from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Mark Routh and Mark Wingham. Thank you both. Thank you. My pleasure. pleasure. Happy Christmas, everyone. Happy Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. You can see more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book Postcard from the Past by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 